Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. I hope your week is going well. Let's uh, go before the Lord tonight and uh, pray and ask him to bless our time of study this evening. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the love that you have shown to us that we do not deserve. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate this Christmas season. And uh, Father, we have come together tonight as your people to fellowship together, to encourage one another in the middle of the week. And uh, Lord, just to uh, learn more of you from this study that we've been doing together. Lord, help us to learn from your word tonight, to draw near to you as you draw near to us. And Lord, may your name be exalted and glorified. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we're looking at chapter 32 and 33 of Created to Draw Near. And he's continuing now to walk through some of the New Testament themes related to the priesthood and our identity as children of God, as priests. And in chapter 32, he brings up the idea of us being saints, being holy ones of God. And so what's interesting is when you read the New Testament, there really isn't that many places where we are called priests. It's relatively few when you consider the whole New Testament. And he mentions a few of those places. Peter says that we are a holy priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, a little bit later in that same chapter, he says we are a royal priesthood. And I think in both of those instances, he's going back to Old Testament imagery to draw that into our identity as children of God. Uh, we see in Revelation several times where uh, we as God's people are referred to as priests. We will serve as priests of our God. And then you have Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 16, speaking in very priestly type language about his mission to the Gentiles. He says that God called him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So he sees himself fulfilling that priestly function so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he envisions his missionary work to the Gentiles as a priestly work in which he is mediating between God and the Gentiles, in essence, and the Gentiles themselves become an offering to God. So he uses this priestly type language. Then we also see that uh, one of the reasons why we don't see very many references to uh, the priesthood in the New Testament is because by the time of the New Testament, after the death and resurrection of Christ, you have really the priesthood kind of developing a, a negative connotation. And so this negative connotation with the priesthood is probably because they uh, were more associated with pride and power more than with holiness and service. So you have uh, the priests becoming more uh, really uh, kind of a political and uh, organization of power. And so that, that idea of priesthood became more prominent than the idea of priests being holy and serving the Lord and serving the people. 
And so what we see in the New Testament is Christians being referred to by another priestly name, and that is by the name of saints. What is a saint? A saint is essentially a holy one of God, isn't it? A saint uh, is the idea of one who is set apart, one who is consecrated to God. It is uh, someone who is holy. And so our priestly identity resides in this word, holy. We see, for example, in Exodus 28, verse 36, where God says to Moses, when he is making the uh, ornaments and the, the, the clothing for uh, the priests in Exodus 28:36, it says to make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. And so priests were always set apart as holy to the Lord. So the turban that the priest wore had this label on it, holy to the Lord. The priest was set apart, consecrated unto God. And so when the New Testament refers to us as saints, holy ones, it it makes that link. Saints, we are fulfilling that priestly role as being holy, set apart, consecrated unto God. And so Christians are saints. We are holy ones. And that term saints, while priests in the New Testament refers to Christians, maybe just a handful of times, the word saint refers to Christians over 60 times in the New Testament. It is the common way in the New Testament letters, especially are referring to Christians. They are saints called of God. So over 60 times in the New Testament and that word saint, when it's used, is always used of all of God's people, not a select group of like super saints or super Christians. So the New Testament concept of a saint is not what we find, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church definition of a saint. In the Roman Catholic tradition, to be a saint, you're, you're one of the elite of the elite, right? So you have to have been particularly used of God, maybe as a, a priest or a nun or, you know, in the church office. Uh, according to the Roman Catholic tradition, to be called a saint, you have to have performed miracles. So they have this high definition for the term saint, but you read the New Testament and Paul writes a letter and he says to the saints in Ephesus, you know, to all of them, all the Christians, all the believers. And so we collectively as the people of God are called holy ones of God. And we have a holy mission. We have a holy mission. And that holy mission is God fulfilling his purpose to bring people close to himself and to enter his holiness. So God takes people who were not clean. In fact, they were sinners and he cleanses them and not only cleanses them, but then he consecrates them and makes them holy. Remember several chapters back, we had that, that kind of breakdown of clean and unclean, but then common and holy. Well, we're, we're unclean in sin. God cleanses us, purifies us, but then he also takes us from the common to the consecrated. 
and he makes us holy. That is God's mission. He says in the chapter that we as Christians belong to God and everything that belongs to him carries the imprint of his holiness. Think about that in terms of the Old Testament. Everything that God put his name on in the Old Testament was called holy, wasn't it? The tabernacle, it is God's house. It is holy. The priests, they are set apart to do God's service. They are holy. These vessels that fulfill these various functions and symbolism in the tabernacle and the temple, they are consecrated as holy. And so anything that was designated as God's in the Old Testament was holy. It was his. So in the New Testament, when we are called God's people, we too are holy, aren't we? Because we belong to God. So God consecrates us, sets us apart. We belong to him when he redeems us. But then God's mission isn't done there, not just to categorically call us holy as belonging to him, but then also in practice in life to make us holy. And so he not only sets us apart as an identity, as a classification as holy, but then in our actual experience and the transformation of our lives, our hearts, our thinking, our behavior, he is uh, progressively making us more and more like himself, isn't he? More and more like Christ. And so the mission of God is that we grow into that holiness and become holy. And he says in the chapter that scripture sometimes emphasizes that God is the one who makes us holy, but other times it assumes that because he has set us apart, we become increasingly more like him in holiness. So sometimes the scripture says you're holy because God declared you holy. But then other times we are exhorted, challenged to grow in holiness, to become more and more like God. So we read in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And then Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2 say, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. And so in those passages, you can see the idea of for us to be in God's presence, not only means to be declared holy, but to grow and become holy in our lives and practice. And so we are saints, but that's just one image. That's just one identifier of God's people in the New Testament, isn't it? that we are saints. We are really saints and so much more than that. There are so many different images and metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe our relationship with God. One of them is we are saints set apart unto God. But we also read in scripture that we are members of God's household. So we're part of his family. We read also that we are chosen. We read that we are precious in God's sight. 1 Peter 2.9, we are his own possession. We belong to God. In Daniel 7, verse 18, we read that we are rich, that we are declared rich, wealthy in God. We're declared servants of God. For example, in Titus 1.1 or Revelation 1.6, 1, 
we're said to be friends of God in John 15, verse 15. So there are so many uh, images and saints is just one of those. So we are called to be separate, set apart unto God, but then also progressively to grow in that holiness, thus representing him before the world. And then in chapter 33, he talks about uh, the Old Testament story of Moses when he was up on the mountain and he saw the shining glory of God. And that changed him, didn't it? That transformed him. Do you remember that story? It's in Exodus 34. Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see my face and live, but I will show you a part of my glory. So I'll put you in the, on this mountain, in the cleft of a rock. I'll pass over you. I'll shield you from the, the most powerful parts of my glory that you can't see, but you'll see like a, a residual effect, if you will, the back parts of my glory. And just that was enough to make Moses' face like the moon when he came down from the mountain, right? Because what does the moon do? The moon takes the sun's light and reflects it back to the earth on us. And so the moon really doesn't shine. The moon is like a mirror, isn't it? The moon reflects the light. Sometimes the moon is very bright. That was like Moses' face coming down the mountain. He had been in the presence of God. His face was literally radiating. It was literally shining from that one encounter with a diminished uh, presence of the glory of God. And he came down with his face shining. And the Bible says that when Moses relayed the word of the Lord to the people, his face was shining. And then when he stopped speaking the word to the people, then he put a veil over his face. So in speaking the word of God to the people, he radiated God's light to the people. Then he put a veil over his face. And the Bible says that he put the veil over his face as that brilliance, as that glory faded. So he would cover his face so the people would not see that glory fade. But then Moses would commune with God again, wouldn't he? He would go into the tent of meeting and he would commune with God again and continue to fulfill this role of a priest. And so Moses was a priest who was robed in light. You have Aaron and the priest, they had these special garments But Moses, his robe came from just being in the presence of God. And the light that he had from being in his presence, it transformed him. It changed him. And that instance of Moses reflecting the glory of the Lord in by having been in God's presence, it really illustrates how we as God's people are changed by being near to God. And so you see in this story that Moses reflected light because God is light, right? So God is the light. Moses in his presence can't help but receive and then reflect that light because he's been in the presence of God. We see in the tabernacle in the temple that there were lights, lamps in the holy place in the tabernacle that symbolized God's presence. And though that candelabra, those lamps, they always faced, they were opposite the table of showbread. And the table of showbread represented the people of God because there were 12 loaves. 
Those 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes. They were the people. The light was opposite the people. The light symbolizing God was shining on the people. And so the Lord has made his light to shine upon us. We read in Psalm 118. Jesus himself is the light, isn't he? We've been talking about that the last couple of Sundays in the Gospel of John, that in Jesus, in coming to earth in, in human flesh, is the light of God. He is the light of the world. And so Jesus himself is the light that shines in darkness. Jesus transfigured himself on the Mount of Transfiguration, and his disciples, Peter, James, and John, they saw something perhaps similar to what Moses looked like on the mountain after he saw the glory of God, except this time it's Jesus radiating his own glory, not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain, if you will, on his glory and lets his disciples catch a glimpse of that on the Mount of Transfiguration, showing, demonstrating that he is the light of God. He is the radiating glory of God and his disciples would be transformed, changed by being in his presence. We read in Revelation 22, verse 5, that Jesus will be our son when we are with him face to face. We're not going to need a sun or a moon or stars. The light of Jesus will radiate and be our light. We pray in Psalm 4, verse 6, Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. And God answers that prayer, and he does. He lifts up the light of his face and looks favorably upon us. And so like Moses, we too have shining faces. Now, our shining faces are not literal, physical, blinding light shining faces like Moses. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we shine forth the light of God on our faces. And Paul makes this link between Moses' experience on the mountain and us radiating the light of God, reflecting the light of God through the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. And so he says in 2 Corinthians verses 12 and 13, he says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is taken away. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so Paul is saying that we are in a sense like Moses in that we, having been in the presence of God and now having the indwelling Holy Spirit, we radiate the light of God with ever-increasing glory, he says, from one glory to another. So what is Paul's point here? Paul's point is that the reflected glory of Christ in his people is actually better than what Moses experienced. Jesus brought us into a new era, the new covenant era, in which the Spirit opens our eyes to the glory of Jesus. The Spirit also assures us that the glory reflected in us will never fade. 
And so we, because we live in this new covenant era with the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's a sense in which our shining faces are even greater than that that Moses experienced. He also says in the chapter, the Spirit brings us into the presence of God and we shine as we reflect the light of Jesus. As with holiness, you have it and you can grow in it. When you believe, you receive the Spirit who shines the light of Christ in you. You can also grow from one degree of glory to another as you continue to draw near to him. So we shine because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, but we can grow from one degree of glory to another as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit shines more through us, the glory of God. And he closes out the chapter by relating a couple of stories that are really opportunities to shine, opportunities to have our faces shine before the world. And one of the stories he gives is a man who would, he was just, he was often discouraged and he was uh, someone who would sometimes get depressed. And he says that he would not go out until he felt like he had met with Jesus in the word that day. He said, sometimes it would take 15 minutes. Sometimes it would take an hour or more. But then he felt like he had been in the light of Jesus presence. And he could go out and with joy share Jesus with other people because he had been in his presence. So he was taking the light of Jesus from the word of God and then he was reflecting that to other people by joyfully sharing the gospel with other people. He also gave the example of a lady who had gone through difficulties and she had experienced troubles. And uh, she said, well, I've got a choice here. I can grumble and complain because of these troubles, or I can be thankful for all the blessings that God has given to me. She chose to be thankful, even in the midst of trouble and difficulty and trial. And that's what Paul tells us to do in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. He says one way that you can shine the light of Jesus before the world is by simply not grumbling and complaining. That's a powerful lesson, isn't it? I mean, we all need that one, right? There are Every day of our lives, we are tempted to complain about different things that happen, about uh, struggles that we go through or difficulties that are, are unexpected. And our natural instinct is to complain about those things. But Paul says, no, even in those moments, he says, do everything. That's even the hard things, right? The difficult trials and troubles, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And he says, when we do, we shine like the stars of the heavens before the world. Our faces are shining, reflecting the glory of the Lord. And so he finishes the chapter by saying, it turns out that there are shiny priests around us most every day who follow the course of faith and love in ways that make them appear spectacular and beautiful as they reflect the character 
of the Lord. Kind of like last week, we were talking about priests in plain clothes. That's who we are. We're, we're priests, but we don't wear the turban and the robe like Aaron. We're priests in plain clothes, and we go about our normal things, our daily activities. They seem mundane, but really, when you're a priest of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, nothing is mundane. Same thing with this. We can go out and do our normal tasks, our everyday routines, but we can still shine. Our faces can shine the glory of the Lord as we go about doing those things because we've been with God. We've been in his word. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so in whatever activity of life, we can shine before the world. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Let your light shine before the world so that they may see your good works, see that you don't grumble, see that you don't complain, see that you love and care for one another so that your Father in heaven will be glorified. And so may we shine as the stars in the sky before a dark and broken world. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we've had these few minutes tonight to to think about these chapters from created to draw near that remind us that we are your holy people. We are saints of the living God. So we belong to you and you've called us, Lord, to grow in increasing holiness, to become more and more like your son. Father, we thank you that you have, through the Holy Spirit, you have given to us, that you are shining now through us. And Lord, as we walk in the light of your truth, as we walk in the Spirit, we have the opportunity to shine before the world, thus bringing honor and glory ultimately to you. So Father, help us to do that. Help us to grow in holiness. Help us to grow from one degree of light to another so that we may shine uh, your glory before the world. And we pray this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.